Well, good morning, church. Um, one of the things that I'm very grateful for about um, our, our community here is that we've got a depth chart when it comes to talent. Um, Pastor Dan's been on vacation for the last couple of weeks, and Tyler last week, Rebecca this week. Thank you. Um, it was it was great, very contemplative and very worshipful, and I'm really glad that you know we've got the opportunity to step away and leave the church in good hands, and, and so I'm really appreciative of that. So um, looking forward to obviously having Dan back, but still I, I just appreciate how um, people step up around here. It's really great. Uh, good to see all of you, and uh, those of you who are braving the heat, and we're just getting warmed up, because remember... It's only mid-July, so this should be fun. Anyway, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad the AC is working. <laughs> That's a very good thing. Uh, we're in this uh, series on the book of Acts. We're spending most of our summer walking through the book of Acts, um, which I think I've mentioned this in the past. is The official title is the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really more like the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and the apostles are kind of along for the ride, and we're, we're learning that. Um, I've enjoyed this a lot because it forces me to go back and relook at some things that I haven't, you know, studied in a long time. Or, um, and and I think what happens for a lot of us is that when you're reading the text, <clears throat> your life circumstances, or even you know, sometimes the fact that you, you know, you're a little bit older, you read the text differently. Have you noticed that you kind of read the scripture differently? Like I, several times, I've noticed at least in this series where I've. I've read something, I don't know how many times I've read that, and I'm like, I still miss things. And then I'll be sitting down and I'll read it and going, wow, I didn't know that before. That's really interesting how those certain things begin to bubble up based on our own experience and how we're reading the text. And I think that's a good thing. So I've been enjoying, enjoying it, and I find myself really resonating with the early church. And so just you know, kind of a quick recap here is that you know, Acts chapter one, Jesus says to his disciples, wait. Wait in Jerusalem for, for power. And then in Acts 2, that power actually comes. The Holy Spirit descends. Some amazing things begin to happen, and this new sort of fledgling church begins to take shape, take root. And then in Acts 3, there's this fascinating story of a lame beggar who's, who's healed. And up until that time, the text is very clear that the disciples have the favor of people, but now they start getting into a little bit of trouble. Because this lame beggar began to walk and there's some conflict with some of the local religious leaders. And uh, that's a problem. And then in Acts chapter 4, and I, I simply love this, you've got Peter and John who, who did this miraculous healing and they're standing in front of the, the, the Sanhedrin. I mean, this, this is the religious elite of the elites. This is the governing body for all things Jewish in the entire country. And the thing that they notice about Peter and John is that they are unschooled and a little bit redneck. Yeah, right? <laughs> Amen to that. The point is, is that they're doing this stuff. They're not just studying this stuff, which I think is really interesting. I love that. So now we find ourselves um, uh, at the end of, of Acts chapter 4, and Peter and John are released, and one of the things that they say um, in the midst of a prayer, they say to God, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I find myself quickly adopting that as my prayer too. I want to see, see God move uh, in ways that are truly only attributable to him. 
And so we pick up the story at the end of chapter four, and we get this, this picture of a, of a very fledgling church. So we're gonna kind of work our way through this you know, bit by bit. I want you to see this. This is Acts chapter four, beginning with verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that uh, there were, uh, uh, and work in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. Can you imagine what that would be like? Now, remember, this isn't forced. These are people deciding to be this way, trying to take care of their neighbor as themselves. They're expressing this on their own. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So they were practicing kind of what we would call storehouse. They would be the storehouse, and they would, they would make sure that it got distributed. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now this is interesting because Barnabas, as we call him, shows up later as a companion of Paul. But this is his first mention right here at the end of, of chapter, chapter four. And it, it's interesting because this early community is marked by extreme generosity. I mean, because you have to admit, you know, selling property so that other people um, can have their needs met is pretty radical. Um, especially in a society where we're kind of, you know, sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps sort of thing, and, and this, is, this is really radical generosity. And it's really about the care of, of, of each other, and, uh, and it's exemplified by, by Mr. Encouragement here, Barnabas, right? I mean, he's the one who said, you know, from time to time, and oh yeah, by the way, this particular individual, here's what he did. And it's not necessarily to lift him up, but rather to say, let me give you an example of how that happened. And then, right at the, the end of this, this chapter, that's a real positive thing, beginning in, verse, in chapter five, things get a little weird. It, in fact, it gets a little disturbing. And I wanna point this out, because um, at first, I'm gonna be honest, at first when I read through this, I'm like, no, I'm not gonna cover this. And I thought, no, I can't do that. I gotta deal with the hard stuff. So, chapter five, verse one and two. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, um, uh, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Uh, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought, brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay. So he sold some land, he saved some of the proceeds, and he gave the balance to the church. Now, on paper, that seems okay, right? I mean, it's his property, and you know, he can do what he wants with it. However, it's very interesting. This term here, kept back, part of the money. <clears throat> the word that's used in Greek um, implies that it was done secretly and it is often the word used um, for embezzlement. Does that kind of change how we look at this now? Maybe just a little bit? So let's, let's keep reading and see if we can kind of piece this together. Look what happens. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. How'd he know that? 
Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So he has some divine knowledge here. And it's interesting, he asked a series of rhetorical questions. And, and um, what we don't have up on the screen is Ananias dies, like on the spot. Boom. You've lied to the Holy Spirit, and Ananias dies. That seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Fascinating. I've got to be honest, I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. Let's keep reading here in, in verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Oh. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And she dies. Okay, are you feeling a little weird? I mean, it's like, ah, what's this all about? I, like I said, I don't like this story. That's why I wanted to skip over it, <laughs> to be honest. But, but Peter, Peter did something important here. He corroborated the issue. And she lied about the price. And she dies too. And it's almost like there is this, I'm going to say that this was what the price was, even though that wasn't really the price, so that we look good like we're giving all the money away, even though we didn't. Now, I want you to notice what happens next. This is, this is an interesting thing, because we're going to come back to this. Great fear sees the whole church in all who heard about these events. You think? By the way, in Greek, I love the Greek here, megas phobos. Big phobia, right? Megas phobos. Great fear. I was thinking about, uh, about this a little bit, and I remember um, there's a preacher from, he was quite popular in the late 80s and early 90s. His name was John Wimber, and he started the Vineyard Church. And one of the things that he's, I actually saw a video where he said this, he says, it's frightening to hang around with the living God. And I remember also the words of C.S. Lewis, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. And see, the issue, I think, here, ultimately, for this um, particular time and place, is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is an interesting word. It comes out of Greek theater, and it means more or less to wear a mask, to look one way but to be something different on the inside. Now, we think of that as a negative, but in early Greek theater, it was a good thing because you wanted to be actors. I remember uh, watching an interview with the, with the great Harrison Ford, and in his first... Um, in his first uh, um, Role, he had just a, a quick couple of lines, and I think he was like a bellhop or something at a hotel. And the director said to him, he goes, well, I didn't feel like you were a star, and, and I didn't feel like you were, 
you were uh, anything but a bellhop. And Harrison Ford said, well, that's because I was acting. He was doing his job. That is, in that case, hypocrisy, right? Because he was acting one way and is really another way. Fascinating. Interesting word. To wear a mask. But see, at, at its core, though, at the, at the core, and Peter points this out, is that, that hypocrisy is actually lying to God and it's lying to others. Right? I'm, I'm acting one way. I've told you what the price was so I look good, but, I, but it really was more than that and I kept some for myself. I don't think anybody would have said, yeah, we kept a little bit of the profits in order for this, but you know, we just felt like, I, I think that would have been more respectful because it was true. Does that make sense? And I, felt, I feel like as I'm reading through this, it's, it's harsh because of the spirit that's behind it. And here's the thing about hypocrisy though, and this is, this is what I find fascinating. Jesus makes this warning in Luke chapter 12. Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Remember, the Pharisees are the religious leaders that kind of mix it up with Jesus over and over and over again. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Why, why yeast? Because it grows, it expands, right? Which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. Um, yeah, Peter just showed that, right? <clears throat> or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. This, this idea of hypocrisy is very, very dangerous. Looking one way, thanks Randy, looking one way, acting another is insidious because ultimately you're asking the question, what's really true? What's really true about that person? What is the truth about what they're saying? Hypocrisy is a big deal. Jesus pointed this out. And Peter is actually walking this thing out in a really disturbing way. Makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. So God divinely and quite frankly powerfully protects his people by calling out the yeast of the Pharisees. Do you see that? And you know what kills yeast? Heat. <laughs> it really does. And I think that in all of this, there is some truth and honesty here, dealing with the truth and dealing honestly. But I also think there's, there, might, there might also, I think there, there might also be a pattern that's here. Because um, I, I want you to see what happens next. I think this is really, it's really interesting to me. Um, Acts 5, uh, verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade that's in the temple. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And I have to believe it's because there was no hypocrisy among them. There was no mask. Does that make sense? And I think that there's something here about that that's it's really important for us to think about. The signs and wonders continued, and this is serious business. I mean, people are getting free and, and being healed and hearing things they've never heard before, and so there's this pattern where you have, you have honesty and then power. It's almost like honesty is the prerequisite for 
power of the Holy Spirit. Does this make sense? It's not a formula. It's just kind of a pattern that I, I see. And, and there's some, some results here. Look, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Now, there's some debate here whether or not Peter's shadow actually healed anybody, but here's the thing. Why would they do it if it didn't happen? Does that make sense? Just because Luke doesn't you know, tell the story here, there had to have been a reason why people were like, you know, let your shadow pass over and, you know, you know, Holy Spirit things kind of happen. I think this is interesting. And so, so we have this pattern where we have this honesty where there's no hypocrisy and then you've got moving in power. But we already know in, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 that there was still powerful signs and wonders going on and yet it is continuing and people are be, becoming uh, more aware of it and on top of it, not only are they aware of it, it's spreading beyond Jerusalem because the reputation is beginning to, to take off. Hmm. Sick people and pure spirits made well. Uh, one, of, um, one of our friends, dear friends, uh, Ken Love, he's a pastor in, in Florida. He says, people are desperate for somebody walking in God's anointing so they can have access to God's blessing and power. People are desperate for someone without hypocrisy who is a walking in the anointing that God has given them because then they too can have access to God's blessing and his power. The, the idea I think here is, is that <clears throat> when, you, when, you, when you have a certain amount of the blessing of God in your own life because you've been in his presence, you're able to kind of cut your way through the jungle. And, and people, people want a path through the jungle. I, I know I do. Because this world is messed up. And we experience it day in and day out and, and we're desperate to find somebody who is actually walking with God. I think this is a profound statement that, that Ken makes because it's rare to find someone with his presence. And you know what? When we, when we talk about it here at Thrive Church, this is why we chase after the presence of God. Because, I, I, I mean, I'm desperate for that because I know that other people are desperate to have someone who is has got that anointing on them. But here's the thing, church. This is the thing that I think we got to wrestle with. The presence of God has a price, I think. And I, I honest, I think it's honesty. I think the presence of God, the price, is honesty. Honesty first with ourselves and honesty with others, but also honesty with God. But it all starts with honesty with yourself. And I've talked often about self-awareness. I think people who are self-aware win. And I think part of that self-awareness is, is really being honest with yourself and who I am and who I am not, what I am capable of, what I am not capable of, and who I am in light of the king and his kingdom. Does this make sense? I think this is a big deal. Because I think hypocrisy, the reason why we put on the mask to begin with is because we're not honest with ourselves. 
Now, this is not one of these. But I think what happens is there are things that erode our honesty. And I think, um, I think some of them are pretty obvious. I think, well, first of all, I think, I think sin, when we're hanging on to stuff that isn't good for us or things that God says isn't good for us, probably erodes our honesty with ourselves because who wants to give up the fun stuff, right? At least what we think is fun. And I think fear also erodes honesty because we're afraid to trust God. Maybe God's got a better idea about things. But more importantly, and I think this is the big one, at least for for most suburbanite Americans, is I really think that shame, shame is the thing that erodes our honesty with ourselves. Because shame is this monster. We can't receive God's presence. We can't receive his blessing because we're not good enough or we're not smart enough or we're not strong enough or we're not wise enough or we're not skilled enough. You know what it is. The fact of the matter is is that I think all of us have at least a little bit of that in play. Shame, fear, sin, whatever it happens to be. And there comes this moment where if you want to walk in God's power, when you want to walk in God's blessing, you got to be honest with yourself first and say, whew, I got this stuff. I got to deal with it. And for me, that journey um, started a number of years ago. <clears throat> and um, I'm, I'm, I'm still working on it, you know, probably 20 years. Still got those things. But I think God is still redeeming, God is sanctifying in my own life. Every um, week when I sit down to do these, I try to ask God, no, I don't try, I do. I ask God, I'm like, God, what do you want to say to Thrive Church? And um, sometimes it comes up just as I'm putting stuff together, but something unique happened this week. I've never experienced this before. And uh, as a lot of you know, I keep a journal, and um, when I'm, kind of processing things. I try to listen for what God's saying. I want to be in God's presence because I can't do this alone. First of all, I think that's the height of arrogance and it might be a little hypocritical to think that I can, Um, but the burden is too big for any one person to bear the responsibility of pastoring a church. And uh, I actually heard... um, I think God spoke pretty clearly about some things for you. I, I, don't, I don't know who this is going to strike or not strike. But this is what I heard, I felt like the Lord was saying. The Lord said, I see behind the mask. I made you and I love you. I want you to be honest with yourself and with me. I don't want to embarrass or punish you. Did you hear that? I do not want to embarrass or punish you. I want you to be free. Free to be joyful. Free to be yourself, your true self. Free to be blessed and to bless others. To walk empowered 
even my shadow will help free you. Be with me. Continue to pursue my presence. I will meet you. And here's the thing I want you to hear. You've got to hear this. Who will take me up on this? I think that's the voice of God speaking to all, all of us. I want you to be free. I want you to be in my presence. But notice the question that he asked. Who will take me up on this? I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your lives, other than, you know, I hear bits and pieces and we talk and, you know, that kind of thing, but we all put up the mask. I don't know what's going on for real. But God does. And he says to the people of Thrive Church, I want you to be free. You don't have harm or pain in store for you. Now, that doesn't mean you may not have to go through some of that. Don't get me wrong, but the point is, is that God wants you to be free. But who's willing to take him up on that? Who's willing to pay that price of honesty with yourself first and with God next? Because I think when you do that, I think, I think, at least in my own experience, when I'm honest with myself and I'm honest with God, then I can be honest with the people around me. And all of a sudden, there's no more hypocrisy. My head hits the pillow at night and I don't feel like I'm pretending. I'm still very well aware of my shortcomings, but I don't have to pretend about them. 